The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Megan Kelly, welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. We are keeping close tabs on the Dow this hour after Wall Street suffered its worst day since 2020. The August Consumer Price Index, horrible, it's showing higher than expected inflation, causing the Dow to fall more than 1,200 points yesterday. Americans are feeling the pinch where it counts most food prices, seeing the highest increase since 1979 when Jimmy Carter was president and I was eight. Okay, worse since then. But you'd never know it by looking at the White House yesterday where it was a full on party. Look what a great time they're having. They're enjoying themselves. They're celebrating their so-called Inflation Reduction Act. Talk about a selection, a bullshit name coming back to haunt you. That bill had nothing to do with reducing inflation, had to do with climate change. And they misnamed it to try to get some good PR going. So it looked totally out of touch for them to be celebrating their fake news Inflation Reduction Act with these numbers out, right? But they went ahead and did it anyway, because once you've planned it and said you're going to do it, you got to do it or it's a bigger news story. Um, it even had a musical performance by James Taylor. Good times. Good times. Remember, he played at Barack Obama's uh, acceptance of the nomination as the Democratic nominee back in 2008 as well. I was there. Cheryl Crow, all the stars, all the big music stars and Hollywood stars love the Democrats and they don't care how out of tune they seem to be with the national conversation given the day of news. Jesse Kelly's here today, folks. He's host of the Jesse Kelly Show. And I'm right. I like that. I like that title for a couple of reasons. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, 
text or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Jesse, welcome back to the show. Great to have you. Oh, it's good to be here, Megan, even though it's a bit ugly circumstances, I guess you could say, but it's good to be here. I appreciate you. It's so out of touch. It's crazy. Like I, to me, there's such divine right order in them being bitten by their false name. Right. Because like they actually were kind of celebrating what they did for what they think they did for climate change. But because they named it this nonsense lie name, they look so out of touch and like they don't understand what's going on in middle America around the so-called kitchen table. I think it really shows how out of touch they've become as a party. I mean, a bunch of people have made this point. It's not my point, but how the Democratic Party, I mean, once you could argue was the Workers' Party, the Union Party, that's what people think of, you know, the JFK Democrats. It's now just a party of liberal urban elites. And to be honest with you, in their defense, I can't believe I'm defending these people. How would they be in touch, Megan? How would they be in touch? Look at the administration. Look at their background of all these people. They all grew up, not that there's anything wrong with this, rich or upper middle class. They went right from there to some snooty Ivy League school with manicured lawns. That's not real life. They went right from there to a production assistant on MSNBC or working for Congressman Jerkwater's office or something Mm -hmm. like that. Eventually, they find their way in the White House. How can they relate to a family right now that's getting text messages from their wife as she's buying groceries and she can't afford it this month? And do you have any more money coming in? Can you work some overtime? They don't have any relation to that person. They've never lived in that world. And you can show you can tell it's it's obvious. Last night, I don't watch Don Lemon for obvious reasons. It's horrible. Um, But I do see some clips from time to time. Last night, he and his panelists were having a good laugh about the fact that my pillow guy, Mike Lindell, got his phone seized at Hardee's and they thought it was hilarious that he was getting fast food, that he was at Hardee's when this happened to him. Because, you know, w- what kind of a self-respecting person would be getting fast food at Hardee's? He's obviously disgusting and below Don Lemon for doing that. And to me, it, it dovetails perfectly into what you're saying. The, the elite media, the Nancy Pelosi's with the 45,000 ice creams behind her and her designer freezer, they don't understand how real people live. Uh, how could if you've never lived that way? But it's one thing, Megan, to not understand how real people live. Right. I mean, there are a million walks of life I've never done, even though I grew up in construction and blue collar and things like that. But there are a million things I've never done. But I at least understand I've never done it. Yeah, I at least understand that that person has a totally different life experience than I do. They don't care. I, I I say this a lot and it proves to be correct a lot that all of our cultural leaders, not just politicians, all of them. They all have three things in common now, and they're all bad. No love of country. Sometimes they hate the country, but oftentimes they just don't care about it. I mean, they don't do anything, wake up in the morning and think, well, this is good for America. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't cross their mind. No love of country. No relation to the working person because they've never lived in that world. We already talked about that. And an ironclad belief that they are of a higher class. I don't mean basic snobbishness, right? Oh, I'm not going to eat that. Where's my chamomile tea? I mean, they genuinely believe, as rulers in the past have, that they are of royal blood and that these absurd peasants down below and their Mm -hmm. freedoms, they're holding everything back. If they would just shut up about their freedoms and let us rule as kings and queens, then we will we will make life better for everybody. When you understand those three things, everything they do makes sense. It's so true. 
The it led to the unfortunate moment of Joe Biden celebrating along with James Taylor singing Fire and Rain. <laughs> OK, I mean, I guess that makes sense because it's a climate control bill. It's not an Inflation Reduction Act. Um, so Joe Biden celebrating as the Dow is tanking yesterday. We have this soundbite is from Fox News uh, and you can see the lower third and the Dow falling precipitously as they're, you know, yucking it up over there on the White House lawn. Watch. This couldn't have happened without every single one of you. And that's in the literal sense in the Senate. Every single one was required because the other team didn't want to play. And all our distinguished guests, CEOs, advocates, activists, thank you for joining us. And what a great day. What a great day. Shows the down, down 1300. Reduction Act in the law. And he's talking about inflation. I mean, it's amazing how poorly they set this up. It is. It, you know what else? It, it hit me yesterday, Megan, when I was thinking about actually that speech and the down and things like that. We, we were talking about people being out of touch. Honestly, we're all probably a little out of touch because we we wait until like the inflation report comes out. And then this is big news because we, we have the numbers in front of us. Right. Oh, my gosh. Inflation. But normal people, they already knew. They didn't need some news article about inflation sucking it up. They're well aware that their standard of living has been steadily going down for some time now, and they can't afford anything. And, oh, maybe you don't get new shoes for back to school this year. Up oh, looks like we're going to have to cut cable. We got it. Normal people already knew. And yet it's always this lagging indicator with the headline, right? Normal people, especially poorer people, are watching their lives be wiped out right now. More than just 401ks, just watching their lives be wiped out. It is it's genuinely sad, extremely sad. Just to put some meat on the bones, uh, consumer price index, key measure of inflation, increased by 8.3 percent in August when compared to the same month last year. Um, many economists had predicted that inflation would decline in August. Uh, didn't happen. Markets nose nosedived on the news. Dow fell 900 points uh, ultimately. And the food index, which I mentioned, has seen the largest 12 month increase since May of 1979. It's, it's risen 11.4 percent just over the last year. So you're right. People are feeling it when they go to the grocery store. And while gas prices have fallen slightly, uh, they're still high. And people are feeling it virtually in every area that they spend money, in particular on their electric bills. And so you turn on the TV and you're thinking, my God, you know, I don't know what to do because the housing market's starting to crumble. The, the food costs more. The gas still costs more than it did under President Trump. The electric bill can't get paid. And you see Joe Biden with his aviator shades on there <laughs> celebrating the Inflation Reduction Act with James Taylor. And is it any wonder, Jesse, that when Nancy Pelosi took to the microphones ready to. Yeah, yeah. She had to beg for applause. Here's the moment. Mr. President, thank you for unifying and inspiring a vision of a stronger fair, safer future for all, for our children. Your extraordinary leadership has made this glorious day possible. I, that's an applause line. <laughs> oh my God. Jill was applauding. <laughs> Jill, oh my God. Jesse. Uh, Nancy Pelosi actually fascinates me a lot, Megan, and I, and, I, and I mean it this way. I realize she's unlikable and horrible, but she's <laughs> she's a Disney movie villain. I mean, she's Corella DeVille in real life. She's just an unlikable human being. I don't even say that as a partisan, which I admit I am. She's just a very unlikable human being. 
Yet, because she's so good at raising money to get Democrats elected, she's maintained this, this, this status in the Democratic Party and nationally that she should never have. So she's become basically the worst face you could have for a party, and she maintains it because of money. And everything seems to come back to that because of money. Like you, you were making fun of the name of the bill, the Inflation Reduction Act. Let's be honest. It was never intended to do anything about inflation. Democrats do two things when they take power. They crush their enemies and they reward their friends. This was one gigantic swan song, the last bill Joe Biden will ever get passed. That's a big handout to his donors. And that's what it was. And they're pretty naked and open about it. That's what it is. Here's a question about the media, though. Do they cover today this? Do they cover the inflation? Do they cover these, you know, kitchen table issues, uh, the, the increase of prices in electric and in food and so on? Or do they obsess over what Lindsey Graham did yesterday and the, you know, the attempt to do uh, basically my understanding is he said, you want to do abortion on a nationalized level? Let's do abortion. Fine. We're the ones the Republican Party have been saying, let it be a state's issue. I've been saying on this show all along, the Democrats should take their half a loaf because it won't be ba- if they if they want to make it a national issue that Congress can regulate, they're going to lose everything. They really could lose everything. At least now it's state's issue. They've got New York. They got Connecticut. They got New Jersey. They got the blue states, California. Uh, And so he went out and said, "Okay, you want to make it a national issue? Let's make it a national issue. You guys want abortion on demand all the way through the ninth month of pregnancy. Let's make the Republican position. You get to 15 weeks with rape, incest and life of the mother exceptions. And a lot of people said, oh, my God, he's insane. What's he doing? Don't get abortion back in the news. Don't make that the headline for Republicans who are already struggling with these suburban women. I don't know what, what the right strategy move is for him and his party, but I do know that's catnip for the media. They don't want to talk about the inflation numbers. They'd love to talk about Lindsay. Because they're walking Democrat talking points, as you well know. I mean, you've been knee deep in that for how long, Megan, having to watch mm-hmm. all this insanity. Look at what's so cynical and crazy about this. And I say this as somebody who's rapidly pro-life. I know I'm far right of the average American. So I, I, don't, I don't expect the average American to be where I am. But Democrats don't actually care about abortion either. I wish people would realize this and understand This is nothing but suburban women outreach. Democrats understand about 60 percent of women will vote Democrat in this country. Women in this country have been taught for years that abortion on demand is just simply a right they should have. And so all you're seeing, all this abortion talk, all of it, every bit of it, it's not about the life of a mother or, or any of the other ridiculous talking points they use. It's all simply about votes. It's all about votes. They're struggling. They can't run on the economy. They can't run on the border. They can't run. I mean, they can't run on anything right now. So what do you do? You got to find some way to whip up some sort of motivation and get people to the polls in the midterms to try to mitigate exactly how bad the losses are going to be. So it's actually I don't think it's bad that abortions in the news, not for Republicans at all. I've never thought this was a bad thing. I think about a third of the country is rapidly pro-life, a third of the country is rapidly pro-abortion. And the other third don't care. So if you if you bring up pro-life issues, who are you hurting yourself with? The pro-abortion people? You were never going to get them anyway. Forget them. The uh, the abortion issue came in the news again in a different way this week where Lila Rose, she's been on the program many times. She's one of the most, if not the most outspoken pro-life advocate in the country. Um, Totally reasonable, delightful young woman who's got her position. Fine. okay. Um, she goes on Dr. Phil to talk about abortion and specifically when life begins, which I am going to confess to you, I did not realize that that was in debate 
I kind of thought we all knew when life begins and then we we're just arguing over, well, whose interests are greater at what point of the development of that life? I guess I was wrong because she had this exchange, which is getting a lot of attention with uh, Dr. Phil McGraw. The predicate of your positions that life begins at fertilization, that science is very clear about that. And you have to know science isn't there's no consensus among the scientific community. There is, that, Dr. Phil. 96% no, actually, of scientists not. say that I, life begins at fertilization. If you're an in vitro specialist, no, no, you're let, looking to create let me, let me a single-cell embryo, and then you know you have a new human life. So it, it is a scientific fact. Well, actually, it's not. Well, when, do you, when do you say human life begins then? There's, well, it doesn't matter what I think. I, I, I don't care what I think. What I'm saying is well, the scientific is community does not have a consensus about when life begins. It's simply and that inaccurate. Is, You're sim it's simply inaccurate. That's not true. You can go to the body... A single-cell embryo is a unique new human life. You can go to the body of scientific literature and you can find neuroscientists who say that it begins when there is a detectable... Brainwave. But Dr. Phil, in to... an abortion, if it's not a human life, why do you have to kill it? I haven't spoken over you, and you keep speaking over me, and I assume that's because you don't want me to finish my thought. Hmm. What do you make of that, Jesse? They do this all the time, Megan. This is how you know. They speak down, of course, to the peasants all the time. And so they start trying to out academia you all the time. You, you saw what he did there. She was bringing obvious facts to the table. You can like him or dislike him. Those are obvious facts. But what did he do? Megan? He did the same thing they did to us during COVID. You and I have had this conversation before. Well, the science. It's trust the mm -hmm. science. Well, the scientists, the uh, neuroscientists. So the average human being sits back and thinks, well, I mean, gosh, uh, neuroscientists. I, I bet he went to Johns Hopkins. I better shut up. I mean, who can argue with the neuroscientists? That neuroscientist is probably an idiot. All the people who led our COVID response were absolute morons. And they destroyed the country over stuff like a six-foot social distancing thing, which they admit now on camera that they made up. They do the mm -hmm. same thing on every issue that they just did with abortion. They bring up some kind of doctor, because people inherently trust doctors. Doctor, a scientist, trust the science. And they just use that to enforce the position they want to push out there. She was the actual scientist there. Dr. Phil was the one who looked dumb. I mean, it's ridiculous. Any woman who's taken a pregnancy test early on in her pregnancy understands there's a life in there. <laughs> you don't have to be a scientist. That's not, like you don't need it. Like, I know it's a baby in there now. It's an embryo. It's going to grow. It's it's a lot different at nine months in utero than it is on, you know, day nine mm -hmm. in utero. I, I agree with that. But who would seriously argue that a life has not begun? I mean, that's just a talking point to, to preserve a hardcore pro-choice position. Of course, a life has begun. It's just it looks different at day nine than it does at month nine. The, the pro-abortion people in this country, Megan, I actually you can equate them to people in the military who go to war. And I, I've, you know, I've, I've done this before. And you can read countless things throughout history. What happens when two armies go to war with each other? They'll each come up with some derogatory, usually racial or cultural name for the other guy. Right. And you can see what we were saying about Vietnamese. I know what we were saying about Iraqis, what we were saying about the Germans in World War Two. Well, why do you do that? Why do you call a German a kraut in World War Two? Why? Why? Because you're trying to make that person less than human, 
because it makes it easier to kill that person. That's the exact same thing we do with abortion in this country. Instead of a baby or a life, it becomes a clump of cells or, well, the science is that, well, we're not really sure. They try to muddle the issue and make it less than what it is. No, it's an innocent little baby growing in its mother. It's a unique God-breathed soul and should be given every chance, not just that life should be protected at all costs. At all costs, that baby can't protect itself. It should be protected. But instead, we dehumanize it. Fetus, clump of cells. Yeah, yeah. Exact same thing militaries do. I really think you can have an honest, um, you know, nuanced abortion debate and you can be pro-choice and still acknowledge that life begins at conception. I mean, you like the argument for most of the people I know who are pro-choice is the it's a balancing scale and the mother's interests outweigh those of the the baby in the first couple of weeks and the baby's interests outweigh the mother's right to choose later in the pregnancy that's how most americans come at it i'm surprised to hear pushback such harsh pushback and there's no life there's no until you can hear the okay like what does it need to be it needs to survive outside the mother's womb for us to recognize that it's alive <laughs> this is absurd well- Well, I'm not surprised to hear it, though, Megan, because what we have right now is there's no appeal to what is what is normal or what is normal thought or popular thought in America. Like you just brought up what the what the most Americans believe. Again, I know I'm right of that, but that's the norm with virtually every issue. All the elites at the top now are radically out of step with what normal Americans believe. And in virtually every possible way, they are radically out of step far, far to the left of what normal Americans believe. But again, back to what we were talking about at the beginning, they don't don't concern themselves with what most Americans believe. They believe they are of a higher higher class, a higher calling. Of course the peasants believe these ridiculous things. That's absurd. We'll tell the peasants where we go. What we have now is it's become so cold because they see themselves as kings and queens. It applies to abortion as well. Well, it's so relevant. It's relevant, as you point out, not just in uh, the the abortion debate, but in the covid debate, which is ongoing. These Democrats would like us to believe this is all ancient history. Oh, and by the way, all the lockdowns were caused by Republicans uh, and the vaccine was from a Republican president. And so on. Now they're distancing themselves. But we're still having to live with their draconian mandates. And the thing that's happening with kids under 12 is one of the most interesting, because now Europe, our friends over in the UK, you can't give the vaccine to a kid under 12 in virtually any case. They've banned it essentially for kids under the age 12 and under. Meanwhile, over here, you can get kicked out of certain school districts if you don't give the vaccine to kids 12 and under. I mean, that's madness. And we haven't stopped to say, wait a minute, why are we doing that? What maybe our friends across the pond, they're not loons. These are first world countries. They're advanced when it comes to modern science. What do they know that we don't? And and even even on the vaccine, Jesse, you look at uh, the, the new vaccine, the new booster that's going to fight Omicron. Literally, it was tested on eight mice, eight, no humans eight mice. And Fauci's talking about how this is going to be an annual must have in the same way we get annual vaccinations for things like flu or some people, some get the annual flu shot. And I guarantee you many schools are going to say that's mandatory when it comes to covid. You take the thing that they tested on the mice, because guess what? You're you're our human testing group. Megan, I I think this is very difficult, honestly, for me to say, because it's difficult for it's difficult for me to accept. And it's very difficult for most Americans to accept. 
that we are in fact in many, many, many ways a much more corrupt nation than the European nations are now. And I'm not mm -hmm. singing the praises of European nations, but that is simply a fact. We have FDA guys on camera, high up FDA officials say, admitting on camera, undercover video, admitting that they are bribed by the food and pharmaceutical companies to approve whatever they want approved. And at the same time, we have the FDA making this admission. The FDA was also publicly shooting down any alternative treatment that I know doctors were using, such as, and I'm not, I'm not pushing these things, I don't know if they work or not, but doctor friends of mine were treating uh, uh, patients successfully with ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. The FDA came out and crushed those and told everybody they had to take this thing from Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson Johnson, wherever you took it from. And now we have Americans who have rejected this. They've especially rejected for their kids. I believe it's 2% of Americans. And yet it is still the official government position that kids should take this thing. It's time to wake up and realize that we have descended into a rotted form of gangster capitalism where the government works for the pharmaceutical companies and the pharmaceutical mm -hmm. companies work for the government. And they're not in this to help you. They're not in this mm -hmm. to make you healthier. They're all in this to loot you for every dime you're worth. And I know that's very, very difficult to say because I love my country. I would die for my country. I know that's probably the same for most of your listeners. We you have descended did. into something really, really gross here, Megan. And I think we should speak plainly about it. You're entitled to say that you actually fought for our country in Iraq uh, at a very dangerous time in our history, joined the military in 2000. Um, so, yeah, you're entitled to your opinion. And I agree. I've been feeling the same sort of sense of concern and sadness about who we are and what we're yeah. doing. Like and and this particular subject, you know, this covid relationship. I don't know. Is it a, what is it? Is it a triumvirate between like Fauci uh, he's part of the medical industrial complex and um, the government and big pharma. I don't know, um, but they're dangerous. And the, it's actually it actually is killing people. It really is. And, and they silence people like RFK Jr. who try to stand up and say, whoa, let me call attention to how in bed they are with one another. Well, uh, Megan, 51 percent. That's the increase in teenage girl suicides as a result of lockdowns. Lockdowns came about as a result of a social distancing suggestion that we now know was made up. So let's follow this along. The elites created a six, six foot social distancing requirement that led to schools closing. That led to teenage girls killing themselves. We now have parents who will never again sit around the Christmas tree with their baby girls because they lost their mind during the lockdowns. And let's circle all the way back to what you just mentioned. All the people who did this, not one of them is in jail. I, uh, not one of them has been fired. Most of them have frankly been promoted or will live the rest of their lives in luxury. Now, if that's not some form of corrupt gangster capitalism that is entirely hostile to the nation, I don't know what it is. And please correct me if I'm wrong. No, it's an outrage. It's, it's sad and it depresses me and, and no one will take responsibility and, and it's ongoing. I mean, now they take a look back at the pandemic and they're like, well, you know, social distancing was really rough on teens. Uh, they factor in other things which are real, like iPhone and the isolation that comes from that social media. But there's been absolutely no uh, attempt to take responsibility. The CDC's introspective look 
was totally off the mark. It didn't look at any of the actual problems at the CDC. They've just decided they're too professorial. They're too academic. They were writing too many papers and they need a better mouthpiece for the PR. No, if they are in the market for a better mouthpiece, I strongly suggest they avoid Corinne Jean-Pierre, who continues to embarrass this White House. She cannot say anything without reading her damn notes. She I mean, it's it's so embarrassing. So there she goes yesterday. Um, actually, I'm going to show you the longer one we have a 17 second. and We have a 47 second soundbite of her talking about the border. And once again, she she repeats what Kamala Harris said on Meet the Press. The problems at the border are the fault of the previous administration. All right. Even though we're at record numbers now under Joe Biden, it's Trump's fault. And look at this for the YouTube viewers later. You'll see her. She cannot do it without looking at the notes. It's not eight. As far as the border, we're taking unprecedented action. Uh, we've made over 3,000 arrests as Still. part of a first-of-its-kind anti-smuggling campaign. We've installed border technology and set up set up joint uh, pr- pr- patrols with Mexico and Guatemala to Reading. catch traffickers. We've got Mexico uh, to agree to pay $1.5 billion uh, to Still improve reading. border processing and security through smart, proven border management solutions. Compare <laughs> that to the Trump administration, which largely just tried to Reading. build a wall, an ineffective wall uh, along the border and couldn't even finish that in four years, uh, were certainly uh, doing a lot more to secure the border and could be doing even more if Republicans would stop their obstruction. Uh, she can't do it. Well, Megan, this is what happens when you hire somebody for her gender and her sexual orientation. And I don't mean to to be rude, but that's exactly what happens. That human being right there can't talk. So you can't be press secretary. Maybe she's a lovely human being. Maybe she's a great cook. Maybe 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 she's a champion NASCAR driver, but she can't talk. So if you can't talk, you can't be press secretary. You don't get a big show like the Megan Kelly show if you can't talk. That's a basic requirement for speaking on the radio. If you can't talk, you can't be press sec. But this this goes to our problem with everything we're dealing with now. We don't seek out expertise or talent of any kind. We seek out all these meaningless things, gender and sexual orientation and whatnot. And so as a result, we have this never-ending rot at the top because nobody's there for their ability. They all suck. The president can't talk. Kamala Harris can't talk. The press sec can't talk. The Democratic candidate in Pennsylvania can't talk. Is there anyone in the Democratic Party who can complete a sentence? <laughs> John Fetterman, we've got to get to him next. I'm fascinated by, fascinated by this guy. So he spent the first, you know, how many months of his campaign ripping on Dr. Oz. They're both running for U.S. Senate um, for basically being rich, for having a bunch of properties. Uh, well, the, and now we find out the difference between Fetterman and Dr. Oz is Dr. Oz disclosed the properties he had and Fetterman had a secret, which we will talk about right after this quick, quick break more with the one and only Jesse Kelly. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable Internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Fetterman, um, 
is the guy who's up for Pennsylvania Senate against Dr. Oz. And Dr. Oz has been not faring as well as Fetterman in the polls because Fetterman's pulling a Joe Biden. He's never leaving his basement. He's not campaigning. The guy suffered a stroke and really hasn't been seen much at all since. It's getting very weird. So Dr. Oz has been calling for him to have a public debate. Fetterman was refusing. He's now getting shamed into one, even by the mainstream media, which is starting to get very suspicious of this guy and what his health situation is. But table that for one second. They're having a debate over houses like Dr. Oz is a rich guy. You don't have a talk show like he did on the air syndicated for 20 years and not wind up a multimillionaire. So to no one's surprise, he's got a bunch of properties. He disclosed it. He disclosed when he filed that he's got two homes and he's got a bunch of other uh, houses. Daily Beast says he's got the 10 houses total. Dr. Oz says all the others are just things he has investments in. He doesn't actually have other homes that he lives in. Uh, OK, we get it. Evil, rich man is what they're, the press is trying to say. Well, it turns out Fetterman, he was doing OK on his own. Fetterman's campaign was making an issue out of the Oz 10 properties. Turns out Fetterman owns eight, eight undisclosed, unlike Dr. Oz. This is via Daily Mail. Um, now, they're not huge. They're not like, you know, going to pay off, allow him to retire in style. Apparently, the total value is uh, 108,000. But you have to disclose if they have a fair market value of over 1,000. So he needed to. And his team's trying to say, well, we don't know if these qualify as an investment homes. Well, what, what'd you buy them for? Are you going to be like one for each of your future children who you don't you don't yet have? Why'd you do that? So this guy has the nerve knowing he has eight properties that he hasn't disclosed to come out ripping on Dr. Oz for having 10 that he has. Well, it goes right back to what we talked about, Megan, how they're totally out of touch now. They're not the working man party. They pretend, right? Fetterman does this really, really well. If memory serves me, he went to Harvard. I do know that he was on an allowance from his uber-wealthy parents until he was in his 50s. Oh, my but God. He, what's he do? What's he do? He wears the hoodie shirt around and then the mesh shorts like he's going to go to a pickup basketball game at any moment. couple extra tattoos. Puts in the goatee in there and acts, go, travels around Pennsylvania acting like he's been a steel worker his whole life. This is not abnormal either. All these hardcore lefties slash communist types have always done this. From Lenin on up, they're all a bunch of snobby rich kids that pretend to be for the working man. They don't give a crap about the working man, nor do they know what he went through. Well, that and that is similar to what they said about Joe Biden, you know, like Pennsylvania, Joe Cran Scranton, <laughs> Joe. Meanwhile, kept him in the basement, kept him away from people, didn't didn't want to put him out there in the public. And this guy has managed to avoid a public showdown. The people are entitled to a debate. This is a massively important position and Senate seat, and they're entitled to a debate. And only when the mainstream media, Pennsylvania Papers and others started to shame this guy Fetterman saying, just how bad was this stroke? Why won't you debate him? This is this is a no brainer. Did he finally come out and say, OK, I'll do I'll do one debate. Oz wanted five. And the Washington Post yesterday comes out and says, you need to debate and it needs to be more than once. And it needs to be sooner than the middle to end of October, which the paper points out that is well after September 19th, when voters can start casting mail-in ballots. And it's short of the two debates that have been standard during all recent competitive Senate contests in Pennsylvania. Um, they point out that the guy receives speech therapy, 
um, and they wish him a speedy full recovery. But the lingering unanswered questions about his health, underscored by his hesitation to debate, are unsettling. Washington Post saying this guy should release his medical records for independent review. This is crazy where this is going. It's brilliant where it's going. Like you pointed out, Megan, they did the same thing with Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not well. I don't know why we have to dance around that. And I'm not a doctor. I don't know what he has. But Joe Biden's not well. John Fetterman's not well. I know for a fact, I talked to somebody, John Fetterman, when he campaigns now, he gets up and gives like four to seven minute speeches. And then there's no mingling. And he'll give like one of those a day. They'll prop him up there. And he can't even do that. I know you've heard. I'm sure you've played all the clips. He can't even do that. They'll prop him up there. He'll lose his train of thought about 90 times and then they'll get him off the stage they're hiding him and they should hide him john fetterman had a stroke strokes are very serious i've lost family members from them john fetterman instead of seeking a seat in the u.s senate should be getting rest and therapy and getting better and for the life of me this may be unfair i don't know why his wife doesn't step in does she not this guy's gonna hurt himself out there he Mm. needs rest and care and therapy but because the lust for power is so great in this daggone place, I'll never understand it. They roll out another guy who's not physically able to do the job. He can't talk. He can't be a senator. I know. he's. It's We got a 50-50 Senate and everybody understands how high the stakes are. And you do have to wonder, especially with some of the statements the Democrats have made publicly, whether they really think the ends justify the means and how well this person is or is not that there must i agree with the washington post there must there must be more than one debate and they must happen asap this guy can cannot get away with the end of october once the voting's already been underway for weeks that's how you get people saying stolen election pennsylvania was another problem in the presidential election of 2020s changing its laws in a way that a lot of us found deeply problematic to help usher in president biden and now they're looking to do it again from the sound of it they are. And, and they're going to get away with it, Megan. You know he's not going to agree to more debates. Washington Post or no Washington Post. And I can't believe that wretched publication actually put that out there and credit to him for doing it. But that was a one-off. He's not going to do it because he physically can't. can't. I mean, you can try to demand and I can try to demand. Washington Post can demand all day long that he do a bunch of debates and he should. The people of Pennsylvania deserve that. He's not going to do it. I'm not going to run out there and play NBA basketball tonight, Megan. You know why? Because I can't. It's not physically possible. I can't do it. I would just fall over dead in about the first minute. The Fetterman is not going to debate. He can't talk. That's an important part of debate last time I checked. They're banking. His backers, his team is banking on Pennsylvanians being just determined to vote Democrat that they will vote Democrat no matter what. The state is blue enough now that they don't care same way they didn't care about Biden. And it reminds me of something a a very well-known person. I'm not going to say his name, but he's very well known and he's extremely successful, was telling me about New York. Uh, He was saying, good for you for moving to Connecticut, which is just a little bit redder than New York and getting my kids out of those schools. And he was saying all of his friends who are object to all the same things that we have just discussed, maybe not abortion, but they're they don't like CRT in the schools. They hate the covid policies. They don't like the government overreach. They can see the economy is in in the tank. Their their stock profile is horrible under this president. They see it all, not to mention the border, which we haven't touched. Um, They cannot vote Republican. They won't do it. Even these people who hate the way they're being governed by this administration, state and federal in the state of New York, they they won't vote. Republican. And so the people in Pennsylvania, his Fetterman's team, they're banking on it. Same. 
You're right. I hear this all the time that there, there are all these uh, liberal elites, lefty elites, especially in the cities. They're not stupid. You can't send your wife down to the grocery store anymore because it's unsafe. Crime's out of control. Like you pointed out, they don't want their kids learning to hate white people in school, but they, quote, can't vote Republican. And to what I say, and I know this sounds harsh, fine. I enjoy. Live with the animals. Enjoy it. Stay right where you are. Try to avoid getting stabbed every time you leave your apartment and keep voting for the same nutballs. You get what you vote for. My uh, my sympathy meter is running a little bit low in these blue areas where you have these highfalutin people who complain about all the policies they vote for. Either wake up and grow up and make some changes or sit there and wallow with the filth. It's your call. Yeah. My friend was saying uh, even his friends who have moved to Florida because they want to escape the awful yeah. policies of New York are getting ready to vote Christ. They they won't do it. It's like, don't you understand what that will do? What that will bring to Florida is why you have all these states, all these signs all over Florida saying, you know, welcome to Florida from your blue state. Remember why you moved here. It does make me really pause about who are the bigger who has the bigger numbers? My my Democratic friends who campaign for Joe Biden, who have now registered Republican or these diehards who people like Fetterman are counting on. They maybe will be voting red and just not tell anybody, Megan. I hear that a lot. One of my good buddies lives actually in Connecticut and he had all his friends are liberal, liberal people, every single one of them. And he says when they get together, just very similar to your experience, they'll complain about every single liberal policy. Everything sucks. Everything sucks. Biden's an idiot. I can't believe this. They'll say these things. And then the second they get out of private company, they sound like some San Francisco nut job. But that person, when they go into the polls, just because they've been telling everybody they'll never vote Republican, they just might. They just might. When it comes to things like your kids and your safety and, and, and things like that, those are not things you can dance around. You and I can have a million debates on abortion and it's not probably going to affect your life or affect my life in any way. My kids being unsafe to travel in the city that's very much affecting my life and something that will make me vote a certain way. You watch, Megan, a bunch of these people are probably stone faced liars. Mm. Or, or I mean, honestly, like uh, companies just basically not hiring white. Uh, yeah, that's that's a problem. It's illegal. Yeah. Like you can't. That's actually not OK. Like that's the kind of thing that will motivate me at the ballot box. Like you need to be thrown out of office if you are implementing policies that encourage that in any way. It is literally illegal, unconstitutional. Um, Speaking of unconstitutional, the law and the Senate, if we have another Supreme Court vacancy, they have to go through the U.S. Senate. It's one of the reasons why these Senate contests are so important, because they can up or down these nominations. You know, you, it's not just getting the president's tap. You've got to get the Senate to approve you. And we have some news this week on the Supreme Court leaker, Jesse. Um, if you're not a total Supreme Court geek like my team and yours truly, you might have missed it. But uh, two justices of the court have come out and said they expect this thing to. Well, just Justice Gorsuch said he thinks it's going to wrap up soon. And Elena Kagan said she was expecting to be briefed, I think, this month. So we may I mean, wrap up Gorsuch, like wrap up soon. OK, that that means they they know something. And uh, there's they're not certain whether it's going to be made public. But you tell me, can this body get away with determining who did it and when and why without 
telling America who leaked that Roe versus Wade Dobbs. It was the reversal of Roe versus Wade. They shouldn't get away with it, but they will. And that was one of those things that really woke me up, Megan, to one of the major problems that people aren't seeing right now in the legal profession. It's, it's Everyone knows the DOJ's crap right now. Criticize the FBI. They, every, everyone knows these things. But I remember watching a video recently. My buddy Ilya Shapiro is a real sharp yeah, guy. He, he, had, he was hired at Georgetown. Then they kind of ran him out of Georgetown. And he went to speak at Georgetown. Now, this is Georgetown. Right? It's not some crappy community college like I went to. This is Georgetown. And he goes <laughs> to Georgetown in the law school. And he goes to speak. And instead, the students all got up and chanted and shouted him down like rabid little animals so he couldn't speak. Just vile little human beings. But we're, again, we're not talking about some dog meat school. These kids are all going to go be prestigious lawyers. They're going to be judges. They're going to clerk on the Supreme Court. People do not understand the real Marxist strain that is leaving law school now and going into not just law, the highest levels of law. You're mad about a Supreme Court leaker now. I'm mad about a Supreme Court leaker now. I mean, Brett Kavanaugh almost got killed. This yeah. is not a one-off. This will be the norm in the future. As you Look, you can only work with what they give you. Right? You can only work with whatever the law schools are giving you. If the most elite law schools are sending you vile little beasts... Well, those are the people who are going to be in the Supreme Court. This is not a one-off, Megan. You watch, it's coming. More of mm. it. All right. On the subject of elites uh, coming out of you know these white shoe colleges and, and private schools and so on, that brings me to Taylor Lorenz, the Washington <laughs> Post reporter who, who just continues to make headlines for the wrong reasons. She once again has gone back to libs of TikTok, demanding that libs of TikTok, a woman who runs the site, comment on yet another one of Taylor's story. I mean, like she she's obsessed with libs of TikTok. That's very clear. And as this became a story, people started to search through her little Twitter feed, Taylor Lorenz. They're like, what's wrong with this person? Well, like, seriously, something's wrong with her. She's obsessed with this site. She thinks all the problems in the world are being caused by libs of TikTok. And that led my team and me and many others on the Internet to find her latest distress is now, do you remember the sobbing segment she did on MSNBC, Taylor Lorenz? Oh, yes. Where she was, <laughs> yes, I sure do. Romina line. Oh, we have it because we always have it. Here it is. It's just for those of you who missed it. It's at uh, 14. I've had to remove every single social tie. I had severe PTSD from this. I, I contemplated suicide. It got really bad. You feel like any little piece of information that gets out on you will be used by the worst people on the Internet to destroy your life. And it's so isolating. And terrifying. It's horrifying. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's overwhelming. <laughs> it's really hard. Oh my God. That was a horrible Morgan Radford of NBC uh, doing the interview. And now, and with, with Taylor Lorenz is even worse. And all three of them had a pity party for, you know, online attacks. Hello. And you know what? Take, walk a mile in my shoes, sister. <laughs> it's you're fine. It's it all comes down to how you deal with it. But now the update is Taylor Lorenz is now she has now turned on Morgan Radford of NBC, the one who did the interview saying she's horrible and um, you should never sit with Morgan, which I agree with, but for different reasons. <laughs> she's just a bad reporter who puts her own personal opinion on everything. Um, but anyway, she says because she's not She's not somebody who can handle trauma and she didn't present the interview in the way that would have presented Taylor in a more sympathetic light to the rest of us, Jesse. 
Megan, when I saw that yesterday, I saw her go after the reporter who was spoon. I mean, that was a friendly, that was the definition of a friendly interview, right? That yes. was, the, they were buddies at the time. I honestly, for the first time, because Taylor Lorenz is just horrible. I'm just, just, she's the final boss of the liberal white women. It actually, <laughs> I did have a minute where I felt bad for her. I really genuinely felt bad for her. She's almost 50 years old. We're not talking about some 13-year-old girl who can't handle the pressure, doesn't know who she is yet. We you have know, no idea how old she almost, is. That's, what, that's why it's funny. Yeah, she's almost 50. Or she might be 50 by this point we in no time. Idea. If you're still an unhinged lunatic that sensitive when you're 50 years old, frankly, you've been cheated by a lot of people in your life. I don't know what her background is, but you didn't have the dad you needed, the mom you needed. When you're 50 and you're an absolute nutball like that, there is a lot of people that took part <laughs> in making you that kind of lunatic. <laughs> the thing so funny about it is, and it, we're not being insensitive to her initial tears. It's the fact that she's upset the media said nasty things about her because of stuff she does. They put the things, <laughs> the personal things about you on the internet. That's what Taylor Lorenz does to everyone. And then when people say, hey, how do you like it? She's like, ah, the trauma, the trauma. And people would feel sorry for me if only NBC had reported it correctly. She, she's one of the people who feels as if the world should revolve around her feelings at all time. We've become a nation like this, really, of feelings. It's about feeling, oh, that's offensive. I'm offended. I'm offended. That's offensive. Think of a crap if you're offended. That shouldn't matter at all. But we've placated <laughs> these people for far too long, and we've given them far too much power in this society. It's true. I've told the story before, but my little guy, Thatcher, you know, when he loses, you can see the tears well up, like if you play a board game or whatever, and he needs to get past that. You know, I mean, just a human, never mind, is a growing man. And I'm like, Thatchy, we need to get past this. No, no more crying because you've lost. So we were playing shoots and ladders. And, you know, that game can have some big disappointments. <laughs> you're, like, you're almost at the top and then boom, you're down at the bottom. <laughs> and I saw his little face and I saw like the tears well up. And I said, are you crying? And he goes, I'm trying not to. I'm like, good, good boy. <laughs> you got this, buddy. Good man. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody needed to do that with Taylor Lorenz. Jesse, always a pleasure. Megan, see you soon. <laughs> My poor guy. I got to do it. Parents, you understand, right? Have you ever done that with your kids? There's no crying. You can't cry when you lose a game. Boy or girl. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Our next guest once championed leftist views and Black Lives Matter talking points. Today, she passionately espouses conservative values to her, her hundreds of thousands of followers on social media and calls Dennis Prager, a friend of ours too, America's grandpa. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to call him that when he comes on next time. Amala Epinobi is host of Unapologetic 
live, and she joins us now. Welcome, Amala. Great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Megan. I, too, love Dennis Prager. Isn't he brilliant? Oh, he's just, like I said, America's grandpa. And the way that he speaks on the radio is the way that he talks to everybody. And he's just such a man who's who's full of wisdom. Yeah, it is. Everything he says you want to listen to, you're like, oh, my God, if I tune out now, I might miss the most important thing I otherwise would have heard of my life. (laughs) Right. He's a life-altering person. He's got that gift. All right. Now, speaking of life altering, I I list all those things in your intro. And tell Mm -hmm. us how old you are. I'm 22. You're a baby. So you have gone through all this at a very young age and just like reading up on what you've written and watching some of your videos like this girl's brilliant like this. You you've learned a lot in your 22 years. So and especially when it comes to culture and our politics. So how did that start? Yeah. So I, I grew up in a, a single parent household. My mother raised me and my, my two other siblings, and she just happens to be a very radical leftist. I always say that uh, with the caveat that my mom <laughs> is a fantastic mother, so I don't want to disparage her in any way. But her politics are questionable. And from a really young age, I, I was this young biracial girl who was raised by a white mother who happened to be an, an activist who was fundraising for the political left. and. She thought she was doing something compassionate and sort of telling me, hi, you know, you're a, a black woman in this country. That's how people view you. That's who you are. And because you are born a black woman, there's going to be barriers placed in front of your success. And these are barriers that I would like to see go away, but we have to work to make them go away. So as young as eight years old, I was super cognizant of that, even though it, it might not have been the reality. It was my reality. And I was just an angry individual who wanted to do something, and and that became activism for me. Mm. So, what what kinds of causes did you activate on? Sure. So, uh, as soon as Parkland happened, I was uh, seventeen, turning eighteen at the time. I immediately jumped into the March for Our Lives movement and ended up doing a speech at the March for Our Lives rally in Orlando. Oh, uh, subsequent that. to that, I. I graduated high school and I told my mom, you know what? I don't want to pursue higher education. I need to do the work. I want to become a youth organizer. And I got hired at her organization at 17 years old, far before I was ready to go out and be talking about these issues. I wasn't educated enough at all, but they sort of threw me in because it was trendy at the time to put young people into activism. We were the future faces of America. So I worked on every left-leaning campaign you can think of, anti-Second Amendment stuff, uh, women's rights, protesting, the fight for 15, anything you can think of I was working on. Wow. We have a little bit of that speech uh, that you, you mentioned on the Second Amendment issue after Parkland. Here it is, SOT 16. The rate of death by gun homicide for black and brown people exceeds those among white people in all 50 states. We need to start to mend this disparity by declaring all gun violence unacceptable and recognizing the fact that this nation's criminal justice system is based on racism and systemic oppression. Wow. (laughs) You certainly sound like a true believer. Oh, yeah. It's cringe to hear that right now. But (laughs) at the time, I had every talking point in the book ready for you. And even though I couldn't truly back up the views head head to head in a debate, I would have certainly hopped on a stage in front of, I don't know, tens of thousands of people and just spewed that stuff out. It's almost like when I see that version of you, and then of course, I've Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time listening to you in in the buildup to today. It's almost Mm -hmm. like there's been a deprogramming. You know what I mean? Like, forgive me for comparing it to this because it's not the same, but in a way, 
Like if you have a child who you know is not trans, but gets swept up in the trans craze and suddenly your daughter's like, I'm a boy, I'm a boy. You're like, you're not a boy. And you've never said you were a boy. You're not really trans. And then you have to do a deprogramming. You know, Abigail Schreier writes about you. You got to go out of town. You got to get rid of the social media. You got to take away the phone. And you could get your daughter back, potentially, if you get these influences away from her that are sort of messing with her thinking. I almost feel like you went through your own deprogramming. So how? How did that phase come? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like to use su- such strong language, but it, it really is true. I did go through a deprogramming process and there was a lot of sort of cult-like behavior that I was invested in at the time. And I, I worked for this organization for about a year. And eventually I just started to notice a lot of hypocrisy. I had a moment where we were in a, a meeting and in these meetings, we we do community agreements where we sort of agree on a, on guidelines and rules that we're going to follow before the meeting starts. You know, things like say your pronouns before you uh, get oh, to boy. talking and make space for the most oppressed people in the room to speak. And I had uh, a fellow employee of mine go up and start talking about the community agreements for the day. And she made the statement that the white cisgendered heterosexual people in the room should just shut up because they've had their time history has favored them. They don't need to speak anymore and they don't have a place in the conversation. And I had heard a lot of rhetoric like that before, but something about it struck me. And I remember just sitting in a room full of people, many of whom were white, who were nodding their heads in agreement with this. And I thought, this can't be the right thing. I'm, I'm going to work every day with these people, hearing this rhetoric and going home to my white family. family. My grandparents specifically who were, you know, sort of your, your typical Fox News conservatives and, and still are to this day. And I thought they love me. Uh, they've taken care of me my entire life. There's no way these people are evil racists. I'm their biracial granddaughter. What are you talking about? And I confronted them with the hypocrisy that I was witnessing and was told that I just didn't know how oppressed I was and was, was forced out, much like what happens when people in cults start to question what's happening to them. Wow. So how did you feel that, that you were forced out? Like, did they ostracize you? What happened? Uh, it was it was hard. I, I had kept trying, you know, to come forth with questions. This doesn't seem right. The way we're treating this person is far different to how we would treat somebody if they were part of a marginalized group. And I just kept trying to chip away at different people who were surrounding me. And I was scared to do so. And I started to think, why am I so scared? I I agree with these people on most things. And I just have a few questions. Why am I scared to come forth with those few questions? And and I, I realized that I was in a space where skepticism was not allowed. You had to agree with everything or you were not a part of the group. And and that's what happened. At every turn when I had a question, I was shoved away. I was told I didn't understand the message. I was told that I needed to do the work, not that they needed to have answers to my questions. Mm, my goodness. I mean, I've certainly been on the receiving end of that kind of messaging as a white mm-hmm. woman. It takes some right. balls for somebody who is white to say it to somebody who's biracial. Right. It, you would think that they would think twice about that, but not at all. No. <laughs> wow. So what of that? So so you said, all right, I don't like this group and I don't like their message. So then what? Because this is actually kind of reminding me of Dave Rubin, who I, I'm sure you know. He, he, um, yeah. he tells a similar experience. He used to be part of the Young Turks which is also far left. And he tells a story about how he was sitting around one day, like everyone's racist. Like everyone, Mm -hmm. every single person who you disagree with is racist. He kind of had a light bulb go off. Like maybe I'm being spun by these people. Maybe this is like an ideology and not fact-based. So that was your first aha moment. Then Mm -hmm. what happened? 
you know, I, I ended up leaving the organization because I just had a, a super a horrible life working there. I was constantly depressed and angry, searching for injustices day in and day out. And I left and I thought, you know what, I want to do something less polarizing. And I ended up getting a job at a, a medical clinic working in allergy. And I thought, okay, no more politics for me. And, and one day I started, you know, thinking, I'm going to go find answers to these questions that I had. And I was going to the internet to actually research policing in America. I thought police were systemically racist. There was no way you were going to convince me otherwise. And I ended up finding a PragerU video titled Cops are the Good Guys when I was searching for this. And I thought, this is going to be the most racist video I've ever seen in my life. Click it. And (laughs) in an effort to reinforce what I believe, I ended up finding somebody who completely shattered my idea surrounding that. And I thought, okay, (laughs) I'm going to have to look inside myself and admit that I was wrong on this one. And it begged the question, you know, what else could I possibly be wrong about? And I went down this rabbit hole, ended up finding uh, Dave Rubin and a a particular interview that he did with Larry Elder, where his ideas on systemic racism got shattered. I'm sure you're familiar. Iconic. Uh, It's an iconic video, and I'm sure it's changed so many people's lives in watching that. I saw that. I found Tom Soule. I, of course, found Dennis Prager. And it was like, oh, I, I was in the wrong here. I think I need to start viewing things a little differently. It is wonderful when you hear somebody speak sense to be like, ah, oh, it's like scratching an itch. It's like, I get it. You know, you've been trying to believe this other thing that people have been telling you. You're like, no, I know that this other thing is true, but I feel a little off about it. And it doesn't totally make perfect sense. And then when you Mm -hmm. hear somebody who can explain it differently and it has a totally different worldview and it works for you, it's such it's like an escape. Like, yes, thank you. Right. Right. It was wonderful and and earth shattering at the same time. I mean, I I went through a a sort of semi devastated process of, oh, no, I've believed this since I was eight years old. I dedicated so much of my time throughout middle school and high school, just being miserable and making political speeches on things that I knew nothing about. And then I graduated and dedicated so much time to it. And I thought, I could have been so much more fulfilled in my life. I could have viewed my place in the world so differently. And I, I'm just lucky that I caught it sooner uh, rather than falling deeper into that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's incredible. It's it's real credit to you, to both oh, your you. humility and your confidence at the same time, right? Being humble enough to say, I was wrong, but being confident enough to say I was wrong and I can handle that and I can choose a different path for myself. That's your parents. Definitely. Your mom definitely did something right with you. Now, I do worry. I worry about if I am too opinionated with my young daughter when she hits the rebellious stage, am I setting her up to go join all these crazy Mm. things that I abhor and that I've been speaking against? Can I ask your thoughts on that as somebody who's closer to her age than you are to mine? Yeah, I mean, I think there is some truth to what you said, Megan. I I think that when you, anytime you try to impose a belief system on anybody, there is going to be that part of them that wants to rebel no matter who they are. And I found that what my grandparents did was some of the most successful, you know, parenting and role modeling that one could do. They never imposed their political beliefs on me. I only knew that they were conservative because when I went to their house every day for dinner, Fox News was playing in the background and they'd (laughs) they'd nod their heads and watch. But much of their conservatism and their values just shined in the way that they led their lives. 
and they're happy and fulfilled people. And I found that when I just made the turnaround for myself without them ever telling me anything, I realized they influenced my life and my thinking so much in just being who they were and, mm. and being confident in their values without having to say anything about it. And I think, uh, to my, to my mother's probably dismay, a, a lot of her pushing the values on me is what made me sort of, uh, more open to hearing other perspectives. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, mm -hmm. I do try not to push, but you know, it's like, obviously you right. discuss world events. It's like, I've got, I got some thoughts um, as anybody listening to the show would tell you, um, right. you, you said something important. You, when you got out of the sort of cult slash leftist organization, and I mm -hmm. unknowingly have been in a couple of cults in my life, I really, I believe that about myself too. You, you <laughs> we don't all know until you're out. You don't know until you're out. But um, you did something that was pro seemingly mundane, but probably actually really important to your evolution. You got a job at, at some sort of medical facil facility, you said, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So the thing that I think is so important about that is don't you think, uh, you know, that it's a little, every hammer sees everything as a nail. Mm -hmm. Like if you immerse yourself in sort of gender studies or, you know, African-American history as your major in your life or whatever it is, everything starts to take on a certain worldview. And if you're spending all your time think, working on identity politics as like a, as an activist, you're just going to get immersed further and further. In. And I'll just give you one stupid example. But back when I was a practicing lawyer and this massive case, uh, we represented Bridgestone Firestone, the tire company. And mm -hmm. I had this several month trial, an antitrust trial involving retreaded tires, not sexy, not sexy. But I knew so much about tires and retreaded tires, <laughs> you know, like little tire shards that you see on the highway. And you're like, what's yeah. that? My God, what's how did that happen? Well, I started going down the highway like I was like, that's that's a retread. That one's going to come off. That's a retread. That's a Michelin. That's a Bridgestone. Right. That's a like. I'm like, why the hell am I thinking about tires? <laughs> I need to like extract myself from this world. And that's half the battle. You extracted yourself. You busied yourself. You had a job you had to do that required you to deal with real problems. And you didn't have all that time to think about this other stuff. Right. And, and in that job, I in the medical field, I was meeting so many people. My job was to go and do patient intake and just learn about their lives, learn about the problems that they were facing, their marriages, things like that. And I was meeting so many people of different backgrounds, which is something that I was not getting in my previous job. It was like an ideological uh, fortress, essentially, where I was just meeting the same person with the same values over and over and over again with the same worldview. And at the time, I mean, Every cross look was was racism. Every man that was a little too confident was, you know, patriarchal and a misogynist. And I stepped outside of that and started meeting all these people who were, you know, Republican or classic liberals or centrist. I'm realizing, oh, well, all of these people are really good people and they're treating me very well. And the, the sort of conservative boogeyman that I created in, in, in my head died instantly in, in doing that work. And my entire worldview was able to be reformed. And then there was a period you met referenced it a second ago, like of sadness for what you'd been believing as a young biracial girl for so long about yourself, about your country, about your chances. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I, I grew up in a rural, conservative, very religious white area in Florida. And because of the narrative that had been spun for me, I thought that everybody was truly out to get me. If that, if I didn't advocate for myself at any given moment, that was the end of it for me. And 
you know, when, when you view the world, uh, like you said, through a certain worldview, everything can be negative. And I, although was, was very successful in this area. I mean, I, I was top of my class. I ended up graduating valedictorian. I got a good job at the age of like 14 or 15 was doing really well. I, even with all that going on, I could have been this super happy person, but instead I was just held down by this worldview that, you know, I was succeeding despite the barriers set in, in place. And so many other people are not going to get that. And because of the perspective that I was raised with, I got robbed of just leading this fulfilling life where I could really walk confidently throughout the world. And I, I didn't have to worry about the way that people were looking at me and judging me. I would have been, I, I think, a much more confident uh, young woman. Oh, this I'm thinking about Jason Riley, who writes for The Wall Street Journal, and he wrote the mm -hmm. book, Please Stop Helping Us. He's in a biracial marriage and they have two daughters and they were going to this Tony private school. And he's talked about how the school kept trying to take these young, beautiful, brilliant girls and make them go to the affinity group and make them go to this thing. And there's all these race based programs. And the girls were like, I kick ass at math. Where's the math club? I want advanced right. math. And I want that's what I, if I want to do something after school to school, that's what I want. Something that's going to challenge my brain and help me develop a useful skill. And they were like, you sure you don't want to come over here to, you know, whatever the club was. It was driving mm -hmm. Jason and his wife, Naomi, insane. And then ultimately, the daughters, were, they pulled them from that school. Right. But it's like uh, many, many people of color, biracial families. It can you don't have to be biracial uh, to have had this same experience, this sort of light bulb moment of I don't want my race to be the main thing about me. Right. And they, and they teach you that, you know, this is going to be a problem unless people like you do something about it, which is the truly nefarious part of that. Although probably unintentional, I thought that I couldn't go down another path that I had to come and face this or else, uh, you know, nothing was going to happen. And I even had the worldview that, you know, it's not going to happen in my generation. So I'm going to sacrifice my time and my energy and all mm. of my emotions to this. So the future generations can benefit from the work that I'm doing now. And to have that worldview and just say, you know what, this is the box I'm going to place myself in. And this is the work that I have to do because this is the world that we live in. It's such a negative thing. So when I hear about stories like like Jason Riley's and the critical race theory that's now being taught in our public schools, I'm just viewing all of those little children as as little me's. And the pathway for that sort of teaching is straight to activism. It's straight to throwing away your life yeah. to something that is not going to benefit you. So what do you do when you see, you know, I confess it at our one school today, we, we just got the first email like, hi, I'm the new DEI director. And it's like, okay, I, yeah, yeah, I have the reaction of like, where's this going? What, right. what, what are they? And, and I know I don't want to have that reaction, but the DEI programs have been so dangerous and, and yep. damaging at the other schools we've been at. I'm very suspicious of where it's going to go. And I feel the need to like pay very close attention to this. So what do you, what, what do you think I should do? And what do you think parents should do? And what would you do in a situation where this rears its head and people feel like, okay, I got to buy into this. Otherwise I'm a bad person. I mean, I would constantly just be checking in on the curriculum and what's being taught in school. I know that's a tough thing to do to sort of impose yourself in your kid's life and what they're learning in school. But at, at this moment, with everything going on, I think it's something that does need to be done. So I'd be constantly checking in, you know, what sort of information are they learning? Where is it coming from? And if it, it does turn out to be negative, I'm, I'm going to 
raise hell about it. <laughs> I'm not going to mm-hmm. sugarcoat it. I will be there to say something and I will find the person who's responsible and have a conversation with them. I mean, it doesn't have to be something that's that's filled with anger, but to truly come up to them and say, you know, this can have a truly negative impact on your child. And if they're not willing to make a change in in what they're teaching them, I think moving your child as far away from that sort of teaching as you can is the best option. So do you, in the way that like the converts to whatever religion become their biggest advocates, do you, do you try to go back and get people over? You're like, come on, come on in. The water's fine. You're, you're good. Come over to the other side. Yeah. You know, in this new show that we've created and and that we're now doing the podcast for, I am just trying to be super open. I think one of the worst things for me was finding conservative people who were just screaming, you know, I'm a lion and you're a sheep and you're indoctrinated and and your brain's messed up and you're stupid. And I could have never been like that. So I try to approach conversations and you know what, with what you're seeing right now, I totally understand why you feel the way that you feel. Can I offer you a, a different perspective on this? And even if it doesn't change your mind, I would at least love to know that you're asking yourself some of the questions that I have. And I found that so many people in my life tried to get through to me when I was, you know, in, in that radical stage. And the, the questions that they asked me that I got super defensive about at the time that I wasn't willing to answer, that I called them a racist or a bigot for, they did stay in my mind. And as I progressed and mm. as I grew, grew more mature, those questions popped up. So it doesn't have to happen right then and there. Uh, so long as they've listened and you sort of left that there, I'm sure it will, it will, Circle back, as the Jen Psaki would say. <laughs> so who? Okay, circle back. So who? At least Jen Psaki would say extemporaneously, unlike Corinne Jean Pierre, who would have to read it. I'm going to hold on. It's here. Some. Oh, circle back. Okay, I got. <laughs> so who were some? You mentioned Larry Elder, Thomas Sowell. Like, who are you reading? Who are you listening, Dennis? Who Who are your biggest influences in sort of learning more about this and another way of thinking? Yeah, Tom Sowell was the biggest impact on me. Uh, a hundred percent. I I found him and watched one video where where he was talking, and I just saw in him a person that was not driven by bias, was seemingly undriven by emotion, and was just looking at questions as anybody should, you know, with with a, a critically thinking eye and with objectivity, and going, you know what, I'm going to follow this path to wherever it leads me. And and where it leads me is what I'm going to show to the world. And I saw one video of him talking and I thought, I need to know more. And I watched more and more and more and ended up purchasing his book, Discrimination and Disparities. And when I read that, I just could not believe that this was not information that everybody was was Mm. given in having these conversations. And now that he's what almost in his late nineties, I am just yep. wondering who's gonna who's gonna pick up the torch. <laughs> it's terrifying. He's our queen. <laughs> he really we, we don't, is. We're really in is. denial about the fact that there's any sort of end of life happening for Thomas <laughs> Sowell. No, he is. He's life changing. And when you start to listen yeah. to him, you start to read him. I mean, he's the opposite of a life of grievance. And like Glenn right. Lowry, he's an economist, right? It's like yes. some of these great intellectuals have come out saying, OK, I get that there's this other narrative, but like I deal in actual numbers and facts yeah. that are knowable, right? It's knowable. Yeah. And it's I'm sure it's no coincidence. I asked Glenn about this, that, you know, some of these great thinkers wound up rejecting this messaging, saying that you're not being factual. That stuff you say about whatever, black housing or, you know, the economy or black wealth, 
There are other reasons for that that are knowable besides race. Anyway, um, let me shift gears with you for a second, because something else that's interesting about you is because obviously we've talked about the race thing, but you're also a very young woman. And there are so many women your age who are way closer to the Taylor Lorenz approach to life than mm-hmm. to yours, where it's like, bow, hoo, for me. I have a thousand illnesses that I just looked up on the internet. And yeah. I love being a victim. Victim gives me class status and, you know, gets me snaps. And I know you're not against, I mean, I listened to enough to, of, of, of you to listen, to know that you don't believe in that either. So no. what do you make of what's happening with young women in their 20s and this stuff today? Or as in Taylor Lorenz's case, possibly almost 50, maybe almost 40. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, Taylor Lorenz is, oh my gosh, what a, a, a basket case in many ways. And I think <laughs> what what's happened is uh, a lot of young people don't have meaning in their lives. And we are in a, a generation that is super high tech and and meant to be globally connected. But in that connection, we've become very superficial human beings who who don't know what to value and we don't know uh, what to fight for or fight against. And I think what has happened now is that oppression has become currency in a lot of ways. You you really, like you said, you gain a class and status in in having some sort of oppressive factor about yourself whether that is a, a mental health issue or a new sexuality or a deviation from uh, your your sex. And uh, people are taking that up. And I, I did that. I was somebody who fell for that exact narrative. And it's because it gives you something to fight for. It gives you something to fight against. And it gives you uh, this perceived meaning in your life. And it's it's really self-regulating. I call it self-regulating victimhood. Once you are convinced that you're a victim, the only thing you want to do is talk about it day in and day out and convince other people that they are also part of this uh, club that you're in. And you couple that with social media and a direct incentive to be vocal and vulnerable about these things. And you're in for a mess with young women. Hmm. I do wonder, you know, I grew up in the 80s when we had the Cold War and then we had 9-11. Mm-hmm. It's like we had real problems from yep. the outside of this country that we were afraid of, that we were scared of. And yeah. uh, I wonder, you know, like if we found ourselves in another massive world war, if we, I don't know, had something like what if Putin was pointing that nuke at us instead of potentially at Ukraine? Do you think yeah. it would change the way these people are obsessing over things that we know do not matter? You know, I would hope. I I thought when when the COVID nineteen thing first happened. I mean, when we were in the early days of this, uh, when everything was sort of mysterious and we were all sitting in the fog, I thought maybe this is something that's going to be unifying in the end. Maybe this is a serious struggle that we're all going to have to get together and and work together against. And that sort of fizzled out, and it became politicized, and it became just another polarized problem. I don't know that if you know Russia was after us or China was after us that we would be able to to set aside those differences and and get over it but I would hope that there just becomes a stage of of such devastation that we we start to look at each other as as humans rather than political parties or or certain labels and I I would think if something like that happened we would be able to set that aside but I would also hope that it wouldn't take something like that and that we yeah, just, we just uh, like, you know, be wishing for a nuke. That's right. not where we want to go. Right. Uh, and I, you know, I'm optimistic. I like to think that this way of thinking is not sustainable. Like it can only get so crazy uh, before everybody realizes 
this is not the way that we live, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know. Or at least we can rely on like federalism where we can just create states where normalcy can still exist and all the loons who want to live in this other weird weird world can go to their states. That could be the next step. All right. Stand by. Going to squeeze in a commercial break. Much, much more with Amala coming up. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. The folks over at The View are making more stupid news again today. I'm sorry. The show, it's the worst show on television. I do not understand how it still has an audience. Sunny Hostin, you know, who like used to be kind of normal. She wasn't obsessed with race at every turn. I used to be on in my very young years as a cub reporter at Fox, the O'Reilly factor with her. And she wasn't she wasn't this way. She's gotten swept up, too. Um, In any event, her latest comment is we will never be unified as a country unless we have a racial reckoning, a racial reckoning to address 400 years of oppression. Here she was the other day. We came together as a country because it was a foreign adversary. Yeah. That is why I think it it was an act of foreign terrorism. And so we felt like, how dare you come to our country and harm us? The biggest threat to our country today, says the FBI's director, is white supremacy and domestic terrorism. Merrick Garland said the biggest threat to our democracy is white supremacy and domestic terrorism. How do you come together when it's homegrown terror? And and we have never addressed why there is that issue that remains in this country 400 years later. And until we get to that, until we have accountability, we are not, I don't think, ever going to be able to come uh, close What do you make of it? I mean, just notice how there's no elaboration on that. What does a racial reckoning truly look like to you? Because we've been through the Civil Rights Act and and Jim Crow is gone. We are legally all equal. The criminal justice system that they use to substantiate their claims about systemic racism, debunked. Policing, debunked. Uh, We have affirmative action that's been going on for nearly or a little over 50 years now in this country. Where is the racial reckoning necessary? Where is it that we as a society need to be uh, uplifting and helping black people that we haven't already done? And she she never elaborates on that. It's just beautiful, pretty words that sounds like there's something we need to get behind and fight for. And they mean nothing. Mm-hmm. I really I, I have a genuine fear that this type of attitude is going to create racism where it yes. was dying in the United States. It wasn't eliminated, but it was dying. I don't think you can just keep looking around at white people and saying you have to pay reparations. You have to make up for what these slaveholders did. You know, your kid can't go to the college and the Asian people can't go to this college or whatever. You know, like because every spot has to be used to make up for sins that you had nothing to do with. But you benefit from because you're part of the mm-hmm. patriarchy. Or you're part of this. I don't think you can have that system sustained for very long without creating real resentment. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think we're getting more and more divisive divisive along the lines of race here in this country. I mean, we're seeing a couple of lawsuits that are going to hit the Supreme Court this year of Asian Americans 
suing universities because they're not getting into university at the same standard or level as as people of color. And if we continue down this route, especially with the demonization of white people, honestly, in the next 50 years, we're going to see another civil rights movement that's based on uh, uh, white Americans and Asian Americans. It's it's ridiculous to me. And as much as they try to speak about unity and about coming together and about getting rid of, of the divisiveness that we're all facing right now, they are fueling it like no other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the segregated dorms and, you know, play, like you go to camp at certain colleges now and like the white people don't live with the black people. And this, they, right. how is this progress? This is deeply disturbing. And and what goes on in those dorms while you only have one color group sitting with one color group? You know, what are they thinking about the others? It's like back in my day, melting pot. And you didn't even think about color because it was like you had every color represented. It was just like, are you a douchebag or aren't you? <laughs> right. It's really about your your morals, your values, who you are as an individual. And we've gotten so lost in in our definition of what it means to be an individual. I've been filming some TV shows recently where they're bringing on, you know, these left leaning experts to defend their side in the way that they view identity and individualism is uh, simply ridiculous. Saying things like your race, your gender, your sexuality are what make up who you are as a person. That is who you are. It's it's amazing to me that we've managed to allow these ideas to sort of fester and grow for so long. Now, so many people have just reduced themselves down to these three or four superficial characteristics, and they think that that makes uh, them as a person. Mm -hmm. It's so sad. Meanwhile, we have debates like this one, which is in the news today about the Little Mermaid. I don't know if you saw this, but the Little Mermaid is now coming out with a new version. And not to not to confuse the audience, the young actress playing the Little Mermaid is not Holly Berry. <laughs> it's not <laughs> Holly Berry. It's it's Holly. Uh, hold on. Let me get her name. I'll find Holly Bailey. It's, Bailey. it's hard. Holly Bailey. Um, so Holly Bailey is a person of color and the Little Mermaid is going to be a person of color in the new version. This is the Disney uh, they just released the trailer for their newest live action remake mm-hmm. and people are losing their minds. OK, so there are a lot of people who are mad that they've changed the race of the Little Mermaid, who was indeed originally white. Uh, I, I didn't even know this was a written, originally written by Hans Christian Andersen in 1836. But I guess he said that this is a, a white character. Um, and some people feel like you shouldn't change the race of the character. Other people say it's just a shitty trailer and we don't like the way <laughs> she looks, looks bad. It doesn't look like it, she's underwater. You know, she's supposed to be a mermaid. Uh, but this has turned into a bait beca- debate because we're having this ongoing argument about whether somebody who is white can voice the part of a black character or play the part of a biracial character. And the answer has been hard no over the past mm-hmm. two or three years. Um, and this is somebody who is a person of color playing what I guess was meant to be a, a white role. What do you make of it? I mean, let, let's let's switch this narrative on its head and say, what if you did that to a black Disney princess like Princess Tiana? What if we come out with a trailer in a few months that is Princess Tiana being played by a white person? What is the reaction that we're going to get? And oh it's God. going to be a wicked reaction from the political left over the switching of that character. It seems as though we can only do these things as a one way street. Black characters can play white characters. And I believe Ariel is based in some sort of Danish history, even though she is a a mermaid, which is not not a real thing. But uh, (laughs) if you're going to if you're going to get upset about uh, 
these things. Uh, when when we talk about white people playing playing black characters, hold the same energy when a black person is casted as a white character. It's either mm. open for all or open for none, and that's something that people don't seem to understand because we pity people of color in this country. We view them as an oppressed and, and lower class. And in, in, in viewing them that way, we think it's okay for them to do whatever they want, but you can't do it the other way around. But the, what they're saying is, okay, that's, it's different because black people are a marginalized group. And so yeah. they need, they need more opportunity. Whites had all the roles forever from time immemorial that were like other, you know, the, the way black people were portrayed was less than for much of our Hollywood film history, which is true. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So they're basically saying we have to equal out the scales. We have to try harder now to for black representation. And Disney's answer is to show a bunch of black girls seeing the trailer like, oh, that's her. Right. That's her. We have a black princess, you know, which that melts your heart. And you say, OK, we do need black representation. And then people say, yeah, but it doesn't have to be in a, in a traditionally white role. I don't know what the answer to this one is. What do you think of that? Sure. You know, I, I don't have a particularly strong uh, opinion on on the Little Mermaid in particular. I, I think if we're, <laughs> that's good. If we're go that's because you're normal. <laughs> you know, if I felt super strongly about that, I might need to get my head checked a little bit. Um, but <laughs> Disney Disney has all the power in the world to create a a black character. And you know, if I, I know a lot of people talk about representation and how important it is, and it is a very cute thing. But but think about how much of a privileged position we are in to be talking about the representation of people in, in Hollywood and in cartoon characters and in, in, in Disney movies. I get that it's important. We can also teach our kids that even though you don't see somebody who looks exactly like you, doesn't mean you can't be that thing. Doesn't mean you can't achieve. Yeah, and that's, that's a lesson good. we should be teaching. And in this whole representation movement that we're going in right now, black people are actually overrepresented in media. There's about Black people make about 13% of the U.S. population. I believe recent stats on how many black characters there are on TV show them at at about 40%. So we are overcorrecting in a way that is just blatantly obvious to people and, again, is going to fuel racial division. You do not fix Mm. past discrimination with current discrimination. You simply even the playing field and allow everybody to participate. That's exactly the opposite of how Ibram X. Kendi feels. I mean, literally exactly the opposite of what he's espousing and everybody's reading in the military and in school and so on. While we're on the subject of Hollywood, I would be remiss if Mm -hmm. I did not spend a minute on Jimmy Kimmel. He's Mm -hmm. now pissed people off because I guess the Emmys were the other night. Yet another ceremony that I never watch. These Mm -hmm. when when back in my day again, uh, these used to be big. People used to watch the Oscars and the Emmys and all this stuff. They don't watch it at all anymore. And I'm one of them who never does. But he hosted them, I guess. And there was an actress named Quinta Brunson, who was a creator and lead actress of ABC's hit show Abbott Elementary, who was accepting her award for best writing for a comedy series at the Emmys. And he was, I guess, continuing some bit he'd been doing throughout the night about like him being drunk or him being out of control. And he decided to lay down. He would li- he, he laid down on the stage. Do we have it? Do we have a video of him doing it? Yeah, here it is. Watch. Jimmy, wake up. I won. He's Jimmy? laying down right at her feet. OK, hold my phone. Um... Um, my goodness. So now he's getting ripped saying he stole her moment, forcing her to step over her body was his mm-hmm. white privilege. 
forcing her to step over his body was his white privilege. I mean, I'm telling it's like three, two, one until we get the Jimmy Kimmel apology for doing this. Uh, what do you make of that? Uh, if, again, if you view the world through the lens of racism, it's what you're going to see it everywhere that you look. And it's so funny because people are so quick to react to these quick little videos that they see or the headlines that they read. If they did any looking into the relationship between Jimmy Kimmel and Quinta Bronson, they would know that he is one of the people who helped her launch her career. She w- appeared on his late night show. It was one of the first late night shows that she ever appeared on. And he subsequently helped her along the way said she's an amazing and and brilliant comedian, loved her writing, loved her show. It's probably one of the main reasons she even received that award. And we live in a world now where comedy can't simply be comedy. There's always some sort of microaggression behind it. Now, would I would I ever get on a stage when somebody's accepting probably the most major award of their life and lay at their feet? No, but it would be wrong of anybody of any race to do that and it has nothing to do with some sort of racist undertone. Yeah. If you want to go after Jimmy Kimmel for racism, you should pull up his uh, blackface sketches from not that long ago while he was in a fat suit as Oprah in blackface talking about how he needed to darn socks. We could talk about Jimmy Kimmel's racism, but I don't think that particular instance was an example of it. Um, Let's talk about women, because I know Dennis had a provocative piece, as he always does. It's one of the things we love about Dennis is he gets us thinking. And Mm -hmm. you liked it and had some thoughts on it, too. And, And what he was saying was, we've got to talk about our women problem that women, he writes, are disproportionately hurting our country. And he talks about how young boys, they have a propensity towards physical aggression and predatory sexual behavior sometimes. And if left to those devices, they that those they will wreak havoc. Therefore, raising boys to control their natures is fundamental to society avoiding chaos. Then he says, over the course of a lifetime, however, I've come to realize that uh, while society was right about males, it's been wrong about females. And that girls, too, need to be raised to control their natures and in particular to control their emotions. He looks back on drag queen story hour and schools and these activist groups that sucked you in. And he says, Mm -hmm. guess who runs virtually all of those women? You know, he's not wrong. No, he's not. And I actually read that and I thought, Dennis, let's expand on that a little bit. I mean, all of the racialization uh, is is by and large, led by women. BLM is founded by uh, by women. You've got the body positivity movement and the pro-obesity movement, really, that is largely led by women. The transitioning of children led by women. Critical race theory in the schools led by women. A lot of the destruction and the wokeifying of Hollywood led by women and this new introduction of, of pushing female writers. There is a laundry list of things that that we are contributing to. And although I will say, you know, the uh, aggression and assertiveness that men have to deal with and, and sort of channel and harness in their lives, those are emotions. We're talking about a different set of emotions. We're talking about sensitivities. We're talking about uh, women having a particular propensity to just hop on things and be ultra uh, sensitive and outraged in, and uh, to do things in the name of compassion that can actually be very harmful. And I think it's an undeniable truth that he's pointed out. But unfortunately, people don't like hearing the truth. And sometimes it's offensive. You know what? And this goes back to the way I ended my discussion with Jesse Kelly, who was on in the first hour about Mm -hmm. how we as parents need to help our children learn how to control their emotions. It's not like if my little Thatcher came into me crying because he, you know, 
broke his arm, I'd be like, no crying. <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. that's not what we're talking about. Right. But, you know, at some point, your two year old becomes nine and the crying at losing shoots and ladders is no longer appropriate. And I do think as a parent, it's your obligation to let them know what societal standards are and how people will view you if you're overly emotional. And it's true for boys and for girls, regulating emotions and understanding just because you feel upset or anger or wronged or unfairness doesn't mean you have to act like a hysteric. And too many of our fellow women are acting like hysterics. Yes, we, it's absolutely true. I mean, we, we look at these situations and we're introduced to something and instead of giving it time to sort of settle, using our critical thinking skills to really break things down, see what the motivations are behind them, see what, what are the possible routes we can take. We lead with the first feeling that we feel. I mean, mm. take the, this transgender kids hysteria that we're experiencing right now. Your kid starts to I- express maybe a deviation from the, the typical traditional gender roles. Your immediate emotion might be, oh, well, my young daughter is sort of acting like a boy. Maybe, maybe there's something going on here. Let that emotion settle for a second and think about what are other reasonable explanations for what's happening right now and head down that path. Instead, we, we lead with the anger. We lead with the immediate emotion. We lead with this is who they are and, and don't give us ourselves any time for logical reasoning. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about this earlier. We celebrate any expression of victimhood. So it's like yes. it's which is closely linked to overly emotional. Right. We celebrate mm-hmm. it. It's not just that we, do, we try not to tamp it down. We're like, yes, bring it on. Do the tears. It's not like we're telling the young girls to enjoy the cutting. But that kind of pro- propensity gets almost celebrated now. Like we get it. Life is so hard. It's not mm-hmm. your fault. It's just it's it's in a dark place. And I thought Dennis's observation about like, what role do we women have? We talk about the guys. The guys are the ones committing all the crime. That's true. Yep. The violent crime. We have a role, too. And perhaps being a little bit tougher on checking our emotional our emotional instincts uh, could do our society and ourselves well. Amala, please come back. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me. I'd love to be back. <laughs> oh, you, you're amazing. And good luck with the show. Um, and hopefully we'll be seeing a lot more of you. Thank you so much, Megan. All the best. This Friday, something exciting is happening. We're going to be sending out the very first edition of my new weekly conversation with you. Just sending out once a week. Um, I wanted to do something where I could just communicate directly with the people who watch the show. I'm kind of sick of the damn driving people to the Apple comments. Why are we helping Apple? Like they they do shit for us. <laughs> um, so how don't we like like let's have a direct email correspondence. I'm calling it the American News Minute. I'm going to include a section in this little mailing that just gives you the news you need to know in a minute or less. Right, a minute or less. I'm not going to waste your time. So every Friday you'll get the top stories. And you'll get that minute. And you'll also get, if you want to browse through the top stories of the week, the must-see moments from the week, straight to your inbox directly from me. And um, I think you're going to enjoy it. I was just talking to the gal running the website. And I said, you know, we, we're crazy if we don't have a segment called Look What Strud Did. <laughs> that, that, could, that, could, that could keep us in business every day. Um, and you'll be horrified at my situation with my dog. To sign up, go to MeganKelly.com. Enter your email address. And on Friday, you'll get our very first one. 
and uh, we'll create some a back and forth where we can sort of communicate, okay? MeganKelly.com, enter your email and you'll get the very first email from me this Friday. By the way, tomorrow, before Friday, Malcolm Gladwell returns to the show. So much to get to with him. What a great guest. In the meantime, please download the show on Apple, Pandora, Spotify, or Stitcher. Also follow us at youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw. I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 